Greetings and welcome to the Animal Wellness Podcast, the official podcast of Animal Wellness Action. Hi, I'm your host, Joseph Grove. On this show, we talk about animals and the people who care about them and have the ability to improve their lives by influencing culture and supporting pro-animal laws and regulations. To stay up to date with all of our news and information, subscribe to this podcast, receive our free newsletters and more, visit animalwellnessaction.org. With me today are Wayne Baselli and Marty Irby. Wayne is the author of two New York Times best-selling books on animal welfare and a former president and CEO of the Humane Society of the United States. He has led efforts to pass more than 100 federal laws and amendments, 1,500 state laws, 300 ballot initiatives, and 500 corporate uh, agreements. Marty is the executive director of the group and also its chief lobbyist in D.C. A lifelong horseman, he has worked in the U.S. House of Representatives for Kentucky's Congressman Ed Whitfield as his communications director and agriculture policy advisor, and served as the president of the Tennessee Walking Horse Breeders and Exhibitors Association. So, so guys, this is this is the third time in the saddle, so to speak. So it's good to talk to you again. Thanks for, for joining me. Thank you, Joe. Yeah, yes, Joe. Thanks for having us again. My my pleasure, certainly. So the focus of today's episode is animal fighting. December is a key month. Uh, December 20th is a big day. We'll talk about that in a minute. But I want to do a little bit of celebrating first and get some insider scoop, if you will, on an experience recently enjoyed by, by Marty. But two weeks ago, President Trump signed into law the PACT Act the Prevent All Cruelty to Animals Act. And Marty was one of a few distinguished guests invited to the White House uh, into the Oval Office to stand, gosh, right at the left hand of uh, President Trump as the bill was signed into law. Marty, that's that's a pretty cool experience, I got to say. Yeah, it was a great afternoon and evening, Joe. We're so grateful to the president and his staff for having us at the White House. He was very um, hospitable, terrific, spent about 45 minutes with us talking. Uh, it was quite interesting because I wasn't aware that the news media was going to be there and standing behind the Resolute desk next to the president. He brought the entire uh, media corps in and we were able to each speak for a minute or so in front of them and talk about the issues and make the American people aware that what President Trump was signing into law was the first ever anti-cruelty statute in American history that was Wayne's idea uh, on the front end. And we're just so grateful for that opportunity and thankful that that legislation has now become law. I know Pam Bondi, who was very instrumental in a number of animal welfare issues and former AG of Florida was there with us. Um, Kellyanne Conway was there as well. And the president called in his daughter-in-law, Laura Trump by phone, who has also been a tremendous advocate for animals. Yeah, so that's that's great. And I have to say, I have been telling people all about that, that I know a guy, my friend was in the White House. I, I think I've even put that on my Tinder profile, just because I think it's going to inure to my own luster. Do you mind if I do that, Marty? Is that okay? <laughs> Go ahead, please. You know, yeah, you it, should be sure to tell folks the, the one thing I thought was very interesting is that the Oval Office is so much smaller than what you think it is on television and what you see in the movies. I bet it wasn't. It didn't look like more than 500 square feet to me. Of course, there was so much history there. It was very surreal being there. But again, we thank the president and are so grateful that the PACT Act is now law. Yeah. And you got to spend some time in the Roosevelt Room beforehand, uh, just mingling with folks. Kellyanne, Con Kellyanne Conway was in there, you said, and you got to just 
kind of be in that whole atmosphere, which is, you know, nonetheless, re- regardless of how you might regard the current occupant of the White House, that's pretty cool to be in that proximity to the most powerful 500 square feet in the world. It was. It was really terrific. And uh, I'd like to also add that Congressman Vern Buchanan, a Republican from Florida who co-chairs the Animal Protection Caucus, he flew back from Florida. Congress had already left. He flew back from Florida for the evening to come to the ceremony and really spent a lot of time working on this issue as well. So really neat afternoon and evening and could not have asked for a better day. Uh, And it's kind of interesting that we're talking about animal fighting as we move into the main part of the episode. Um, I mentioned last week how a lot of my Facebook friends were posting a great deal about the horse racing deaths. Uh, This week, a lot of the activity I'm seeing among my network concerns Michael Vick, which, so far as animal fighting goes, is probably the most notorious episode uh, we know about, right? I mean, the Michael Vick episode was was certainly headlined and, and stomach-turning uh, material for my friends, many animal lovers, uh, over the past few years. It's becoming a news item again because I believe there's uh, a move to put uh, uh, Mr. Vick on uh, a certain team, and I'm betraying my sports ignorance here that I really don't follow football and nor understand how much of it works, but uh, there is some move to elevate Michael Vick, and the wake of his dog fighting really is putting a damper on that, and, and it looks like may even jeopardize that. Before we, we get to our special guest, uh, Wayne Marty, any thoughts on the Michael Vick issue and, and what that has to say about the legacy of animal fighting in the United States? Well, it's Wayne here, Joe, and thank you for, for having us again and, and having this discussion. Uh, you know, one of the things that we talked about in prior episodes is that this is kind of a nonpartisan issue. It's not uh, a peculiar affinity for any people of a certain geography or background. Animal welfare is a universal value, and caring for animals is something that Democrats, independents, Republicans, Caucasians, African Americans, Latinos, uh, Asians, that all of us should agree is part of being civilized and being decent and being humane. You know, the root word of humane is human, and it's really about our agency. It's about how we handle the immense power that we have. And when you speak about Michael Vick, I've got a long history there, which I don't want to go into today. Uh, but let me let me just say about Michael Vick that what he did was horrific. Um, he uh, has, after he served his prison term, he acknowledged that it was horrific. Uh, I will tell you that the awareness and the outrage that was spurred by the revelations about his conduct and those of the other members of the multi-state animal fighting ring that that he helped to lead uh, did spur many advances in our federal and state laws against animal fighting. Um, Years ago, I had worked to upgrade dozens of state laws in the wake of Vic's crimes because it really fostered newfound awareness of, of animal issues. It also sparked an upgrade of our federal law against animal fighting right after we had just passed a law to make it a federal felony to engage in most animal fighting activities. After the Vic case happened, Congress wanted to take another bite at the apple. And what it did is it really essentially said that if animal fighting is tied to any form of interstate commerce, then it's forbidden under our federal law. 
there were still some exemptions that we later got to, which I think we'll talk about in today's um, uh, episode of the podcast. But let me just say that sometimes in the worst of circumstances, when an individual does something so awful, it provides a moment of great reform in our society. You know, most causes are born out of crisis. You know, the humane movement was born in the 19th century because of the abuse of the horse in our cities. The conservation movement was born uh, out of the liquidation of our wildlife as we were settling the country. And the animal fighting, uh, the anti-animal fighting movement had an incredible surge of progress after the Vic case. Now, I'm not saying I'm glad he did it. I'm certainly not. He victimized these poor dogs in, in an awful way. Uh, but in terms of the legacy of Michael Vick, uh, I think it's a legacy where people showed that once they became aware of this problem, they wouldn't tolerate it. And we're continuing that effort today to eradicate animal fighting all over the United States, including in the U.S. territories. <clears throat> Marty, any thoughts? Well, you know, I know there's a tremendous public outcry about these issues, specifically dogfighting and cockfighting. It's horrific what goes on in the U.S. territories and in many states where this practice is already illegal. But I think that our society is growing. I think that our society is evolving and our citizens and those in the U.S. territories are becoming much more aware and conscious of what this means in our modern day era. Yeah, thank you, Mardine. I'm glad you mentioned cockfighting because that's going to become the focus of much of our discussion as we go forward and introduce our guest. Uh, Ana Maria is joining us from uh, San Juan, Puerto Rico today, one of the five U.S. territories where there is some debate, some backlash, some interesting dialogue concerning a December 20th deadline uh, or a, a date when the law becomes effective, an enhanced law, uh, that will make a federal crime and enhance penalties. Wayne can tell us more about the particulars of the law uh, where cockfighting is, is concerned. And one of the interesting things about the conversation that we'll touch on is the cultural arguments concerning cockfighting. Um, certainly, being from Kentucky, we are well aware of cockfighting as a as a alleged component of, of our quasi-Southern culture. Dogfighting certainly has ties to, to some cultures, and, and there are cultural aspects concerned with that. Uh, so it's going to be an interesting discussion to see how we move forward on this December 20th date in making sure that all of the United States and its territories embrace uh, this, 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 this change. Uh, so, Marnie, I'm going to turn it over to you to say a little bit more about our guest, and let's get the conversation going about cockfighting. Yeah, I'm just delighted, uh, Joe, to have uh, Ana Maria uh, Hernandez from uh, San Juan. She is an attorney. Uh, she is an animal advocate, and she is uh, doing more and more animal law. And she's yet another example of just the 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 commitment that so many people have to political advocacy for animals. So uh, she is uh, helping to to uh, uh, push this idea that Puerto Rico should um, obey the law, that the people of Puerto Rico, even if they're enthusiasts for cockfighting, should obey the law. And I, for one, am just really grateful to have her on our team and uh, excited to have her on the podcast today. 
So welcome to you, uh, Anna Maria. Uh, I'll ask you uh, first, ma'am. Uh, I understand there was a movement among some of the territories, all of the territories, to apply for uh, an exemption or lenience or a pass on this law as it comes effective December 20th, owing to the cultural heritage of cockfighting in those territories. Can you talk a little bit about that heritage that's being cited? Yes, hi. First of all, thank you for the opportunity to be able to talk about this issue from the perspective of, uh, of course, the people of Puerto Rico. Um, yes, the one of the main uh, issues or the main the main arguments. Thank you. Uh, sorry, the main arguments uh, from the cockfighting, uh, the people that advocate towards cockfighting or that want to keep cockfighting happening in Puerto Rico is, first of all, yes, the cultural heritage, and second of all, uh, an economical uh, aspect of it, because they say that it's going to, you know, end a lot of money coming into Puerto Rico, since we have a, an economic crisis, this should, you know, weigh in favor of cockfighting. In terms of the cultural aspect of it all, culture changes, and we've had so many uh, examples of violence being called culture in the past and now evolving and knowing better and knowing that this is not culture, this does not represent Puerto Rico's values. Um, since 2008, we've, we've made huge progress in terms of fighting animal cruelty. And it's a very interesting aspect that we have a animal cruelty law since 2008. And actually it's being, has been top rated among not only among other states of the United States, but also um, internationally, because it has very strong protections against animal cruelty. Um, and the only reason that cockfighting is not prohibited in that law, because animal fighting is, that's an interesting fact. So in Puerto Rico as a state or as a territory um, or on the state level, we've been having a prohibition of animal fighting since 2008. But the only reason that cockfighting um, was not included is that legislators actually told the advocates that were working on the law and said, you know what, there's a lot of legislators that, you know, gamble and have a lot of interest in cockfighting. So either you take it out of the prohibitions or the whole law, you know, is not going to be enacted. So at that time, they said, you know, for one point, let's, you know, what's better, you know, um, in the balance of interest. So the cultural aspect of it all has evolved um, since so, you know, like a long time ago. And if you see younger generations, they are not, uh, they are not really interested in that, in that uh, spectacle or sport, like they call it here. So really, I, I do not support that argument. I do not give it enough credit because I think our values as a country and our views and uh, the way we are acting towards the protection of animals suggest otherwise, that we still have a strong cultural attachment to cockfighting. Ana Maria, thank you. Let me ask for a clarification on something then. Uh, regarding the manner by which cockfighting became not to be considered part of animal fighting, uh, did the law stipulate animal fighting and then was it left up or did the territories act on their own to say, well, we're not going to enforce the cockfighting, or was cockfighting exempt from the beginning from the 2008 law? And I guess, Anna Maria, or you or Wayne, either one could answer that question. 
Yes, um, it was left out. It states the law as it, as it is written at present. It states that cockfighting is uh, under, under the rule, right, or under um, the disposition of the cockfighting law. So it's specifically um, left out from the anti-cruelty, the state anti-cruelty statute we have here is Act Number 154 of 2008 is the law against animal cruelty in Puerto Rico. Okay, very good. Wayne, how is what's happening now different from what happened in 2008? Well, <clears throat> Anna Maria's you know, observations are spot on, and her, her legislative history is also uh, right on point as well. And we've got a circumstance, Joe, that we have local governments that uh, have many local governments. A city or county have passed laws against animal fighting. Uh, states have passed laws against animal fighting. Now, all 50 states have prohibitions against both cockfighting uh, and dogfighting. And the federal government has also weighed in on this issue, first with a very weak law in 1976 that restricted some interstate transport of animals for fighting. But then in the 21st century, it's been upgraded five times uh, in 2002 to ban any interstate transport, to ban spectators, to make it a felony. And this latest upgrade of the federal law, so it, it did not relate to any legislative action uh, by the Commonwealth of Puerto Rico's uh, legislature. The Congress took action and removed language that had been in the federal animal fighting statute that had originally been in the 1976 law and that had exempted the territories from some small portion of, of the prohibitions on cockfighting. Now, when we had worked in 2007, 2008, 2013, to upgrade our federal law to crack down, not just on the fighting itself, but on the set of associated activities like raising and possessing birds for fighting, possessing and shipping the cockfighting implements like the knives and the gaps that they attach to the legs, being a spectator at a, a, a cockfight or bringing a child, a minor to a cockfight. Most of those activities were not exempted. We specifically wrote the amendments to apply everywhere, but there were still a couple of remnant um, carve-outs for the territories, which Ana Maria is correct. Not only has Puerto Rico not prohibited cockfighting, nor has the Virgin Islands, which is the other Caribbean territory that's part of the United States, nor the three Pacific um, uh, Ocean uh, territories, uh, Guam, American Samoa, and the Northern Marianas Islands. None of those jurisdictions on their own outlawed cockfighting. In fact, a couple of them still do not prohibit dogfighting. But what happened in 2018 is that the Congress took up this issue. We had promoted the idea that that all forms of animal fighting should be illegal everywhere in the U.S., that we weren't picking on the territories. We were simply saying that what happens in Alabama or Arizona should also apply uh, to the U.S. territories as well. And this provision was passed in December of 2018. And as a nod to the territory's delegates, there are five delegates uh, who serve the territories in the Congress, the Congress gave them, they basically said, listen, we want this to end, but we're going to give you one year and you need to wind down your cockfighting activities and it will take effect December 20th, 2019. Well, that day is here and now we're not hearing, uh, you know, too much about this grace period. We're just hearing 
uh, all of this nonsense from some of the cockfighters that they're going to defy the law, that it's their right to do this, it's their God-given right, it's their cultural right. And I agree with Ana Maria that cultures evolve. Um, and who's to say this is even part of anyone's culture? I mean, cockfighting started, you know, probably in the Roman um, Empire uh, 3,000 years ago. And as the Roman Empire spread, it spread all around the world, where Caucasians in Europe did it and, and Asians, whether they were Indians or Vietnamese or Chinese or, or Thais or Filipinos did it. Um, people of African descent did it. Latinos did it. I mean, I, I find it laughable for anyone to say, oh, this is a cultural tradition of Puerto Rico or the Virgin Islands or Guam. I heard the same argument from rural whites in Oklahoma. I heard it from Latinos in New Mexico. This is animal cruelty. And, and we have as, as big a consensus on this issue as any form of animal use and exploitation in our society. You know, what issue do we have a federal law that bans it everywhere, 50 state laws, many local ordinances, and, you know, Ana Maria, I think, is hardly alone as, as a Puerto Rican in speaking out on this. A survey showed that a large plurality of Puerto Ricans want to see this banned. And just yesterday, we announced a poll from Guam where the politicians there thought, oh, probably 80 or 90 percent of the people supported in Guam. Well, it turns out uh, two thirds of Guamanians want to see cockfighting outlawed and they support the federal government. Uh, prohibiting the activity. So I, I think that this is now a question of enforcement. Are we going to honor the rule of law? Are we going to, to basically say that we should not have animal fighting so that someone could be entertained by watching a bloodbath and gambling on the outcome? I think for most sensible people, they say, no, we don't want a bloodbath. We can engage in some other form of entertainment that is going to satisfy us. It's not like this is a, a necessity in our lives. This is a form of, of entertainment. It's a spectator sport and it needs to end just like, you know, we ended dueling or we ended foot binding or we ended slavery. I mean, those were things that were widespread all over the world too, uh, but eventually civilization overcame them as it should have. Uh, Ana Maria, I want to go back just one second to uh, the economic argument you alluded to a moment ago. Um, where does the majority of money come from when it comes to cockfighting? Are there people from outside the territories bringing it in? Is this a source of new money? Is it merely being exchanged among uh, people indigenous to the area? Talk about that economic argument. Well, it's a good question, and some of those questions I've raised myself. <laughs> Uh, when we've been last year, when we were discussing when this um, law, uh, you know, first became enacted, because they keep bringing up this argument about how much um, of economical value these fights have, and the truth of the matter is they haven't shown any of those records. In every place that I have the opportunity to speak about this issue, I always say the same thing where are those numbers like show me those numbers where are they coming from because in the past uh, years I, I could say like 10 years or whatnot i've been dealing with this 
since 2008. Like when I started law school, I, no, I started law school in 2005, but in 2008, I started as a law student, a, a pro bono um, group about animal law. And that's when the anti-cruelty law in Puerto Rico got enacted. So I've been, uh, let's say, with this movement since the beginning of, of this law, right? Uh, so since then, in the different activities I've been part of, we've been dealing actually with cases of new cockfighting arenas wanting to be developed. And a lot of um, activity against it has uh, prevented those new places to be constructed. So that's a, a first thing. So if they are saying that the money comes from outside, that people want more places like this, they are not showing the evidence. And my experience, it goes against that argument. And again, no one in any interview, in any um, uh, newspaper, uh, uh, sorry, essay or newspaper uh, article or anything, they have shown like real true numbers, like show me an Excel and say, look, this cockfighting arena makes this, it comes from here. Like we don't have clear numbers. We don't have any of those records. And they should have it because cockfighting here is ruled by a local law. So it for it to be legal, if it's not like an underground thing, for it to be legal, it's has to be run like a business. And a lot of them, like I, I have been in like debates with like, um, you know, big people in the industry of cockfighting and face to face, they tell me and they say, you know what, I am a part of this or this arena and we have all our numbers and we have, you know, our merchant registry, all everything is, you know, um, on point. And I always tell them, great, show it to me. Show, make it public so that we really can understand what this huge economical impact of cockfighting is. It's Joe, it's it's Wayne again. This is an overblown argument by the cockfighters. They've done this in every single jurisdiction where there was a bill or ballot initiative pending. They wildly exaggerate the economic value of the enterprise. And I'll say now that in Puerto Rico, there's just no chance that it's a big industry at this point in terms of a legal economic enterprise. The federal law since 2002, again, the federal law, has banned any interstate transport or interstate to territories, territories to foreign countries, banned any commerce in fighting birds, and then in 2007, it banned the fighting implements. So it would not be legal for cockfighters in Puerto Rico to ship a bird to Oklahoma, to the Philippines, to Guam, Vice versa, it would not be legal for a bird to come in from the Philippines, Guam, or Oklahoma into Puerto Rico. It would just be local activity. There is simply no way that, that there is wealth and economic activity being generated internally in Puerto Rico that makes this a big industry. You come, Joe, from Kentucky, which is the biggest horse breeding state in the country. The way that the people in the horse racing industry make money one of the horses wins uh, a big event and obviously the biggest events like the Kentucky Derby or the Preakness if a horse wins that then the animal goes out to stud or you know they they become involved in breeding and their offspring are then sold globally within the horse racing industry and that's how an owner of a of a winning horse makes money this is the same thing in cockfighting. If you go to the World Slasher Derby in Philippines, or you go to 
some other major cockfighting event, you have a winning bird, you can sell your offspring. And that's the main way that wealth could be generated in the cockfighting world. The problem for Puerto Rico and the other territories and the rest of the United States is that you cannot ship the bird anywhere. If your bird won you know, a, a derby in Puerto Rico, you're not allowed to ship the offspring anywhere for fighting purposes. So the whole thing is kind of ludicrous. And I've heard a politician from Puerto Rico say, there are 27,000 jobs tied to cockfighting in Puerto Rico that generates $18 million. Well, number one, if you have 27,000 uh, jobs generating only $18 million, it sure is not a lot of money per job. But beyond that, the whole thing is folly. I mean, there are 65 or so small cockfighting arenas in Puerto Rico now. They get a small amount in the gate fee. Most of the money is traded between side bets that occur, and they're not legally allowed to sell their birds anywhere outside of Puerto Rico. As I'm reading about the, the particulars of the law, I see references to implements that might be bound to the bird's legs. Um, does this law also address items that are bound to the bird's beak or, or his head? No, they don't use anything else. Um, when there's dog fighting, it's just the dogs using their natural um, abilities and their, their teeth and their, and, and their strength. With fighting birds, um, the roosters have a natural spur on the back of their legs, and the cockfighters typically shave that down, and they then affix a fighting implement uh, to the bird's legs. They tie a leather strap that affixes the implement. And the type of fight is typically defined by the type of weapon. So it would be a short knife fight, where the knife might be an inch or an inch and a half, or it would be a long knife fight, say a three-inch knife that's attached to the bird's legs, or it would be a gaff fight. And a gaff is like a curved ice pick. It's smooth on the side, but has a sharp point. And the birds are fitted with the same type of implement, supposedly to even up the fight. And the, the animals are supposed to weigh about the same. So think of it, you know, in terms of boxing, that you have classes of, of fighters. You have welterweights and you have middleweights and you have heavyweights. And that's a similar situation here. The difference, of course, is in human boxing, we blunt the effects of our human weapons by putting gloves on our hands to, to uh, remediate the impact of knuckles and a closed fist, you know, hitting a person's face. With cockfighting, we accentuate the, the weapons of the bird by shaving down a natural spur and putting a sharp uh, metal implement that gouges eyes, it punctures lungs, it maims the animals, and that's why the fights typically don't last that long. I went to Guam in September and went to a cockfighting arena called the Dome, and you know, the fights lasted two or three minutes because the birds were hacking each other to death as people were gambling on the outcome. I, I frankly found the whole thing very boring in terms of, of just the entertainment value of it. Of course, I found it barbaric and, and kind of sick that people would, would enjoy watching animals kill each other. And I, I frankly find the idea that people are so devoted to watching animals um, fighting to death, uh, you know, I, I treat it almost as a lack of imagination that this is the favored form of recreation for anyone in the world. Mm -hmm. and, and our listeners can go to endcockfighting.org, uh, a new website Wayne has published, and he's written on that, that website 
what I thought was a very well-written, engaging, and infuriating uh, story about his experience at that cockfight. So well done to you on that. It's very interesting, and I encourage our listeners to go to endcockfighting.org to learn more about this issue and to read Wayne's uh, piece there. And and speaking of uh, that, I just received a press release from animalwellnessaction.org and endcockfighting.org regarding a reward program. Wayne, tell us about that. Yes. Well, again, you know, we believe in the rule of law. You know, those of us in in animal protection who care deeply about animals, we have to endure a lot. You know, we have to see legal animal cruelty like factory farming or trophy hunting. And rather than just break the law and defy it, you know, we work through the system to try to change the law. Well, the law has changed when it comes to animal fighting, and now it's forbidden as of December 20th everywhere in the United States. We think that the people who are enthusiasts for conch fighting and dog fighting need to adhere to the law. They need to to honor our political system and our political process and and uh, not be defiant. And one of the ways that we are encouraging citizens to participate and to help us, because it's not just the role of law enforcement. You know, when you think of our penal system, our judicial system, it depends on the testimony of witnesses. It depends on on the juries that that are 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 constituted of regular people who uh, sit in judgment and who examine the evidence. And we're asking people in Puerto Rico and Guam and the other U.S. territories to give us information about illegal animal fighting activities. And if that information yields an arrest and prosecution, we at the Animal Wellness Foundation and Animal Wellness Action will pay $2,500 to that individual for this information. We want to support law enforcement. We want to support the rule of law. And frankly, we want to support Guam and Puerto Rico and the other territories because this is a stigma. Having animal cruelty present in these jurisdictions is going to be a drag on their reputation. It's going to be a drag on tourism. It's not going to be in the economic uh, and reputational interests of these territories. And our awards rewards program is, um, is part of this effort to enforce our laws in the United States. And we encourage folks to, to spread the word about the rewards program, publish it on Facebook, go to our website, endcockfighting.org, uh, put the release out on your Facebook page, and let's make sure that people who, you know, enjoy this activity are not allowed to continue to do it. They can transfer their energies to other forms of entertainment. Mm -hmm. One of the things you talk about in your book, The Humane Economy, is the ironic benefit humane treatment of animals can bring to organizations. Uh, One thinks of losing an economic value by shutting something like this down. Uh, To your point just made now, it's actually an economic benefit when one comports his business, his government, her government, her business, with humane practices. Absolutely. And I think it's not just businesses, it's countries, right? Countries are are political uh, organizations at some level. Um, they're, uh, they're constituted by people and they're organized around human actions, but they include corporate uh, corporations that, you know, drive the economy. You know, when you think of Japan, sadly, you know, I think of it as an outlaw nation when it comes to commercial whaling. 
And I think of, you know, historically China exploiting wildlife and liquidating wildlife, or I think of South Africa having canned hunting facilities for captive African lions where people go and shoot these animals. You know, to me, for so many of us who are alert to the suffering of animals, the presence of these terrible industries is, is a barrier to tourism and to the strength and perceptions of strength for these countries. And I think the same is true for Puerto Rico or Guam or other parts of the United States. If they hold on to forms of animal cruelty, uh, they are going to suffer in the eyes of other Americans and other people throughout the world. And it's Ana Maria Hernandez and so many people in Puerto Rico who think like her, who are in the vanguard um, in protecting Puerto Rico and, and developing Puerto Rico and enabling it to get out of the tough times that it has recently experienced, especially since Hurricane Maria. So I think it's a false framing for the cockfighters to claim that there's any benefit to cockfighting economically. I think that it's a drag on Puerto Rico and it's time for the law to be enforced. Yeah, another argument that they present here, not only with cockfighting, we've also been recently um, having an issue with a zoo here and et cetera. So there's also that tourism e argument that they present that goes hand in hand with the, um, with the economical argument as well. And again, I always, first of all, we mentioned a little bit before during this podcast that they had a whole year you know, to like um, Wayne so uh, specifically said, to divert their energy to other activities. And I said it like in 2018, during an interview, um, I would say, you know what? You have a whole year to devote the money, the, you know, the supposed or alleged money that this industry is leaving you to then um, educate these people or give these people other tools to have another means of life. It's supposedly there are a lot of people that depend for their livelihood on this activity. So you had a whole, first of all, you had a whole year to rearrange your energy, rearrange your efforts, rearrange your money from this industry to other things that will benefit much more Puerto Rico um, than cockfighting because it doesn't matter supposedly how many, you know, millions this is allegedly giving us, which is not, because if not, you know, we would be out of our, um, you know, economical situation, or at least better off. Um, uh, but if apparently you have this money, then direct it to other activities, because really in, in just uh, a bottom line, cockfighting is not, it doesn't give any benefit to Puerto Rico. It doesn't speak well of Puerto Rico. Like instead of, you know, helping, let's say, reconstruct houses after Maria, you know, or helping, you know, better the environment because we are an island, a beautiful island that, you know, needs um, climate protection to be as beautiful, keep having our beaches, etc. So why don't you direct that money, that energy, those efforts to something more productive? And in terms of the tourism issue, um, globally, we have seen for the last five to 10 years, a huge shift in Um, in perspective on that, a lot of tourism, you know, companies and apps and everything are actually diverting tourists from going to places where there are zoos or where there are circuses or where there is animal fighting or even when they are where a place like Thailand, let's say, let's say for example, that they have sometimes mal, uh, um, 
incorrectly named sanctuaries for elephants. They alert tourists, like, you know, keep in mind these facts. If you see this, then that's not a sanctuary. They're still, you know, using the animals. So the tourism industry is globally is changing. Um, so I don't think that the tourism um, argument has any, again, any, any weight at all, because again, the world is evolving, um, the perspective of people is evolving, what people want to value and the experiences people want to have when they travel are completely different. Ana Maria, I want to give you a chance now to address this issue in Spanish to listeners of this podcast in the territories, uh, specifically in Puerto Rico, Guam, where this issue may come to a greater boil. Uh, would you say a few words about the case against cockfighting and support for this law to people who speak your language natively? Um, yes, sure. Eh, hola, mi nombre es Ana María Hernández. Eh, soy una abogada que trabaja el tema de los derechos de los animales en Puerto Rico. Y en este podcast hemos estado hablando eh, sobre eh, los argumentos a favor o en contra de las peleas de gallos en Puerto Rico. Mi experiencia solamente en Puerto Rico, pero en este podcast también han, han estado hablando sobre la prohibición federal eh, en términos de Puerto Rico y todos los demás territorios de los Estados Unidos. Pero básicamente hemos eh, discutido aquí sobre los eh, argumentos principales que presentan a favor de las peleas de gallos, uno de ellos siendo la economía, pero aquí hemos mencionado que en ningún momento se han presentado este, expedientes o récords reales, por lo menos en Puerto Rico, del impacto real, económico, que tiene esta actividad en Puerto Rico. También hemos hablado en términos del turismo, que es otro gran argumento que han presentado a favor de, la, eh, de las peleas de gallos, y lo mismo, la, y también eh, el argumento sobre que es una actividad cultural, pues eso va atado al turismo, porque la sociedad ha evolucionado, el mundo va evolucionando, y las personas ya no buscan esas experiencias de explotación animal cuando viajan, eh, la cultura también evoluciona, y como muchos otros actos y actividades de crueldad, no solo hacia los animales, pero hacia los humanos, que antes eran considerados culturales y ya no más, asimismo está evolucionando el, el ámbito de las peleas de gallos y las peleas de animales y la crueldad animal. Este, así que los argumentos reales que se presentan no son válidos para levantar o para cambiar la prohibición de peleas de gallos en Puerto Rico. Y por último, eh, también está el argumento, ¿verdad?, de que o sea, esta, esta ley tuvo un año para, para hacerse valer. Esta ley comenzó en el 2018. Tuvieron todo un año para reformular esta industria, para utilizar esa ganancia, supuesta ganancia económica para capacitar a las personas que dependen supuestamente de esta actividad para vivir, etcétera, para hacer algo positivo para Puerto Rico con, con esta energía, con los recursos, el dinero que supuestamente deja esta industria y no lo han hecho. Así que yo creo que ahora simplemente se trata de movernos hacia un mejor lugar en Puerto Rico que sea en contra de la crueldad animal y en contra de las peleas de gallos. Hey. I should have studied harder in Spanish. I didn't didn't understand a word. So, uh, all right. I just um, I gave like a brief of everything that we've discussed until now. <laughs> all right. Very good. Very good. Fantastic. Thank yeah, you, thank you. Yeah, thank great. you. Yeah. Great. great. Yeah. I did understand some of it, Joe. 
Well, of course, <laughs> if, of course you would. That, that, that's the benefit of your Yale education versus my U of L education, you know. So you can tell. That's good. Um, all right. A lot of a lot of issues um, uh, surrounding this topic. Is there anything I've not asked that we should close with? Any final words, Wayne, Anna Maria, Marty, on this before we wrap up? I would I would just like to address the issue of the United States law and the territories very briefly. Um, you know, the the argument is that well, the territories you know, don't have full representation in Congress, and therefore this is an example of modern-day colonialism. Uh, let me say that the reality is the territories are part of the United States, and there are ongoing debates about whether the territories should be states, uh, what the extent of political power and representation um, in Washington should be. But I don't think we can conveniently say when we don't like something, when the cockfighters or a small number of people in the territory say, well, we don't like this particular law, that we could just exempt ourselves from it. The reality is the delegates from the territories are supporting a repeal of the federal law that uh, bans animal fighting in the territories. And the reality is not a single U.S. representative of either party or not a single senator from either party supports that effort, showing the consensus that exists on this issue in the United States. And as Anna Maria said, cultures evolve. We have rightfully shed many horrific practices throughout uh, the last you know, centuries and the last millennia. And animal fighting is not a tough moral call. And the United States has finally finally banned it. It takes effect December 20th, and now it's up to all of us to see that it's properly enforced. Okay. Ana Maria, any final thoughts? Yes, um, yes, I, of course I've heard this issue a lot, um, but I've said it before also, like, this is not the form, like, with this law is not where you're going to make this statement, which in part, in my very personal opinion, is true about we should be more defined about our relationship with the United States, and I'm talking about Puerto Rico because it's what I know. Yes, we do not have any votes. We don't have any, you know, any presence really, uh, political presence in the United States. We can't vote, but we are um, U.S. citizens, so it's a very, very delicate um, issue. The one about the relationship, the political relationship of Puerto Rico that has been you know, an issue for a long, long time. And I don't think this law is where you're going to make a statement because like we mentioned in the beginning, this is not like a party issue. Like animals are not Republican or Democrats. They are living beings that are suffering through this activity. So to try to make this about a political statement, I don't think this is, this is the issue to do it. We've had many opportunities to do so, and I would love for these people to be supporting those other causes, which would have a more a bigger chance to really, you know, make a statement or bring this to the table so that the United States starts, you know, talking to us about this. But this is not political at all. Like this is, these are animals, beings, sentient beings that lives that matter. And that is all we cannot put a color on it or a political part on it because they, it's super beyond that. 
Marty, uh, your contract says you have to speak for at least five minutes during each <laughs> podcast, and I think you're only at four and a half now, so I'm going to give you 30 seconds to make a final point. Yeah, I'd just like to add thanks for Ana Maria for joining us today from Puerto Rico, and I think one thing that's worth mentioning is last year when we worked on the Parity and Animal Cruelty Enforcement Act that outlawed uh, animal fighting in the U.S. territory and was included in the Farm Bill, I had several discussions with then House Ag Committee Chairman Mike Conway from Texas. And one thing that really resonated with him was the fact that we were discussing this in the U.S. territories and that he had actually been to Puerto Rico and he had seen the cockfighting rings and the roosters chained up to stakes that were uh, not far apparently from the airport where he landed. So it was visual for him and he really got it. And that was a big part of it. So I think, you know, it says a lot for people that are traveling in and out of the U.S. territories that they see this culture and they want to do something to change it and bring it to an end. Uh, thank you for that, Marty. I appreciate it very much, Wayne. Thank you, Ana Maria Hernandez. Thanks for being on uh, the podcast with us. I really appreciate it. Uh, you were a font of, of great information and perspective. Thank you so much for listening to the Animal Wellness Podcast. I've been your host, Joseph Grove. Be sure to visit animalwellnessaction.org to find out about all of our legislative efforts, subscribe to our newsletters, and link up with our social media channels. Want to subscribe to this podcast? Go to iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean, and we'll be back real soon with another episode of the Animal Wellness Podcast.